Well, grace, mercy, and the peace of our God be with you this day. Amen. It is good to be home. Having traveled a whole lot over the last four weeks, it's really good to be back. Well, four and a half, I guess. We've been back for half a week, Drew and I have. Paula's been back a little longer than that. We came back from, well, following the Holy Land trip. Paula and I spent some time in Austria, just the two of us, which was fantastic. And then we came back. I was here for about a day and a half. And then I went to Ohio where my family lives because that's where Drew was, where Gina had been. Gina's finishing a bicycle tour today, like right now. We got a FaceTime from her just before leaving the house this morning because they were wrapping up and she bumped into somebody because this ministry has existed for a long time, somebody that I met in the summer of 1987. So, and they just happened to meet each other because that girl's, well, girl, she was a girl at the time, that woman's daughter was also on the tour with Gina, so it's a small world after all. So you know how it is when you come back from traveling, there's that mountain of mail, right? And you got to go through that and figure out all the things that you were neglecting while you were away. And there's some things we were neglecting. And then you look out the window at the yard and there's more things that have been neglected. So the grass is high, the bushes are overgrown, the mountain of mail still exists, there's bills to pay and all of that. You come back from the mountaintop experience of an awesome travel to reality, right? What's reality like, though? It doesn't have to be that we go from traveling and being out of town or being away to here's what the real world, the real life is like. Real life comes at us all the time, doesn't it? Our daily lives consume our attention. So what's on your mind? What's on your mind today? What's on your mind this week? What's on your mind often? Maybe there's something that just doesn't quite go away. Some thought, some idea, or some issue that is just always there. Our focus is personal. Most of the time, isn't it? And if you think about all the directions we could be paying attention, there are several. Sometimes our, our gaze is cast down because we're dealing with struggles and stresses, with persistent problems, hardships in our lives, disappointment that we have faced. And so we find ourselves just downcast. Sometimes our attention is looking beside us. Now, it's important to look around and think about the relationships that we have and the lives of other people whom we know. It's important to do that. We don't want to just be so narrowly focused that we don't know what's going on among our friends, our family, people whom we, about whom we care. But sometimes when we're looking around, it's what do they have? What are they doing? What trip did they go on? Oh, that looks like a fancy car, a fancy trip, a fancy house, a fancy lifestyle. I, I want to keep up. I want to 
I want to try to fit in with other people. Sometimes we pay attention to what other people are doing because we want to connect in a way that can maybe not be so healthy. When we try to be someone we're not because we're trying to fit in with the crowd. Sometimes our attention is looking backward. Now it's good to have memories, treasured relationships even from one 1987 on a bicycle tour in Ohio that kind of got reconnected this morning. It's good to have, you know, photographs we look at of things that we've done and places that we visited. It's good to remember the things that have shaped us and made us the people that we are. But sometimes our gaze goes backward and we live in those glory days. There was even a song about it that maybe a few of us are singing. Never let them pass you by, glory days. If you think the best days of your life are behind you, well, probably they are. If you convince yourself that that is the truth, and we just keep looking back and living in the past. Sometimes we look back and have memories that aren't good as well. Memories that drag us down and push us into the downcast kind of attention and view. Sometimes we spend a lot of time looking ahead. We think, we dream, we plan, we're consumed with the future. Now, it's important to plan and to dream and to have expectations and to pursue our goals. That's all important stuff. But think about the parable that Jesus told. There's the rich man in the parable who is ready to tear down his barns. They're not falling down. They're not insufficient. Well, they're insufficient, I guess, to hold all of this grain that he wants to store. Aha, he says, verse 18 from Luke 12, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. I'm going to be prepared for the future. I'm going to set myself up for this comfortable retirement. This is good. But God says, this is what happens when people are not rich toward God. Right? Your soul is required of you. So we look down, we look beside, we look back, we look ahead, and oftentimes we look inside. Because our desires are influenced by the world. The things that we want, we get turned inward. We think about ourselves, our lives, our interests, our desires. And there's an earthly influence that affects us all. Paul writes to the church at Colossae in chapter 3, verse 5. This was part of our reading today. About these influences. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Those things come around. Those things don't leave us alone, right? That earthly influence is often lived out and and connects to us or impacts us through culture and through media. TV, advertising, social media. Our concerns are more global than they've ever been, aren't they? The things we know about are way larger than they ever used to be. What we know about what's going on in people's lives, 
because of social media, we can connect, and, but in the same way, we can be influenced by a much broader scope than ever before. And most of those influences, most of those advertisements that tell us all the things that we should get, that we should want, that we should pursue, they're not like drug ads. I don't know when drugs got to start being advertised on TV, but I think they're really funny, actually. Because, you know, you get the colorful pictures of the people who are... Well, first it kind of starts out maybe black and white, especially like the allergy ads, where it's like, oh, I'm so miserable, right? And then someone has the medication that they need, and it's in color, right? And then all of a sudden, everything is... It's like the Wizard of Oz, right? Where it goes from black and white to in color... And now we're all happy and we're doing great and we're enjoying life, right? Because this is what happens when you take this medication. And I love how they always hold it so you can see the label right? in a completely unnatural way. I have this. And then the voiceover comes on, right? Because they're enjoying life, but side effects may include. And then they rattle off and they speed that guy's voice up so you can't even like comprehend all the words that he's saying, right? Dry mouth, itchiness, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like kidney failure, even death. Like, wait, what? Hold on. But most advertisements don't do that, right? All the advertisements do is show you the color Wizard of Oz kind of feel like if you drove this car, then you would be happy. If you had this thing whatever it is, then you would enjoy your life. But there's no side effects may include. <laughs> but there's always side effects, aren't they? Side effects may include jealousy, rage, anger, disappointment, frustration, high costs of maintenance. I don't know. We know what they are. We've lived through this again and again. And all these things that we want, all these desires that... We've been fed, force-fed in a lot of ways, continue to affect us. We need to break, three, break free from these, and we can through a mind renewed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Apostle Paul writes that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That verse is similar and kind of sets the stage for, for this idea of our death and resurrection. You have died. Mark Twain once wrote, the report of my death was an exaggeration. We don't feel like we've died, right? If you can get your pulse somewhere, find a big vein and, okay, heart's beating. Lungs are breathing, standing upright, I'm alive. Well, what Paul's writing about isn't a physical death. In our reading for today, he wrote this, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's at verse 3. We're buried with Christ in baptism and raised again. 
Paul writes that elsewhere in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, and has this same concept just one chapter before this in Colossians chapter 2. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him. When we think about the waters of baptism, it's not usually a death and resurrection, right? It's usually just the resurrection part, the life-giving part, the spiritual inhabitation part that God is claiming and marking and that we're brought into the family of God through the water of baptism. This is how we think about it. Just a couple of weeks ago, the group that was in the Holy Land went to a site along the Jordan River. Nobody really knows where Jesus was baptized, except that it was at the Jordan. So, the Jordan stretches from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea, and there's a spot where they've built some buildings and some ramps and whatever, and this, like, kind of pen in the water. Because the other side of the Jordan River is Jordan. And Israel and Jordan aren't... um, Super friendly. So there was a guy on the other side who had a weapon, right? So we weren't going to swim across the Jordan, even though it would have been pretty easy to do to visit another country. But there was the water, this river, kind of a big stream. And we got to go down on the ramp and put our feet in it and experience the water of the Jordan River. Put some in a bottle, brought it home. It's water. It's a little silty. I mean, they irrigate with it and put it back in the river, and so it picks up the, the dirt along the way like most running kind of streams do when the, when the riverbed isn't just rocks, right? And we sat there along the side with our feet in the water, and we touched the water and looked at the, the vegetation growing along the sides, And none of us, I think, thought, ha, death and resurrection. We thought this is life-giving. The baptism of Jesus, how that connects to our own baptisms. But what Paul writes is that our baptism connects us not just to Jesus' baptism, but to his crucifixion. So that we are buried with Christ in baptism. This is why Luther liked the symbolism of full immersion baptism, but doesn't require it because there's no evidence that that's how it was done. And there's no biblical mandate that we be immersed and pulled back out of the water. But the visual imagery of being completely submerged, there's a burial, and then brought back to life. This is what baptism really does. We're buried and raised again. As people who've been raised to new life, we should look the part. And that's what he says. Put off the old self. Show of hands, how many people have habits that you uh, would like to change in your life? Almost unanimous. There's a few holdouts. Feeling like we got everything all together. We have habits we want to change. How many people want to do better? I don't know that we should keep raising hands because this might get a little personal. With diet, with exercise, with how much rest you get, 
how much screen time you're in front of. How many of us want to accomplish more things that we have in mind to do, so we need to really focus on our management of our schedules a bit better? Yeah. All of the above. (laughs) All of the below, too. We all have these habits that we want to change. That's connected to this idea of putting off the old self. It's habits, it's patterns in our lives. And Paul writes this, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he goes into the list we already talked about. Put that to death. And in verse 9, he says, put off the old self with its practices. Put that off. Romans chapter 6 and Ephesians 4 also describe the old self as being put off, as being crucified. Put off the old self with its anger, its wrath, its malice, its slander, its obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie. Like, this is not an exhaustive list. And we can recognize within ourselves the the old self, because, boy, that old self just likes to keep on coming back, right? Likes to hang on. Likes to keep those patterns in place. But it's not just put off the old self. Paul goes on to say put on the new self. Luther picks this idea up in the small catechism. When he's talking about baptism, he said baptism signifies that the old creature in us is to be drowned and die through daily repentance. And that daily a new person is to come forth and arise up to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. See, baptism is a one-time event, but our baptism is a daily exercise of death and resurrection, of putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Luther talks about doing that each morning, remembering that the mercies of God are new each morning, so that each and every day we can wake up and be grateful for another day of life and pray to our God that we would live out our faith that day, that we would put off the old Adam and, and live in this new creation that we are. New life comes by a new way of thinking. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That's in verse 10. Paul writes elsewhere, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change. By the renewing of the mind, and here's how the mind is renewed. Set your mind on things above. That's what Paul said right at the beginning of our reading today, verse 2. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Instead of the looking down, looking back, looking beside ourselves, looking inward or forward, we look up. Look to Jesus. Seek things that are above where Christ is seated. And in Hebrews 12, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. How do we look to Jesus? We spend time in his word. We spend time in prayer. We meditate on what God has done in our lives We take a walk and think about God's work in creation. We set our minds 
in such a pattern that we think about what God has done, what he is doing, what he's going to do on a very frequent basis. We think about Jesus and what he would desire of us as his disciples. We think about what Jesus has already accomplished in our lives through the grace and mercy that he has given us. We look to him as we think about our future. Look to your future. Not just next week, month, year, season of your life. Not in that forward-looking what's on my horizon. Not in what kind of plans should I have for retirement or whatever season might be coming next. Beyond all of that, we have hope for eternity. We have hope for this blessed connection with Jesus, our Savior. Verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, your life is hidden with God, uh, in God with Christ. And when he appears, then that's when we will have reality. That's when we will have a fullness of our lives that he has given us. When we are resurrected with Jesus, when we live out eternity in his presence, Think about what that means and how significantly valuable that is compared to everything we could want or desire or pursue in this life. Look to Jesus because that's where, huh, that's where the value, that's where the richness, that's where the overwhelming abundance is and invest in the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Further in that chapter, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It means invest in the kingdom of God. Now, with what we have, with the time we have, with the resources we have, we can invest in the building of the kingdom of God. As we set our minds on Jesus, as we pursue, as we seek the things that are above, we still live in this world. When we were in Austria, Paula and I were driving around. There's a lot of mountains in Austria. We were practically surrounded by mountains every day for a week and a half. Like tall mountains, the Alps, it's just gorgeous, it's spectacular. Um, one of the things that in the summer happens regularly, and we saw this almost every day, someone will go running down and jump off the mountain with the paraglider thing, right? You can just, you can see this right up here. Um, Ed Levin Park has it too. But these people would just be circling in the sky. It was just such a beautiful thing to see. We're driving along unfamiliar roads in a rental car and noticing, look, there's somebody up there paragliding, right? (laughs) You can't just be looking up. We have to be in the here and now as well. There's an expression, maybe you've heard this before, 
Don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. Have you heard that? We still live in the here and now. As we seek the kingdom of God, as we focus our minds on the things that are above, we still live in this world. The kingdom is in heaven, right? That's in, in the future. And we think about those things and we seek those things and we want to invest in and build the kingdom of God. But we do that in the here and now. We do that with people that are around us. So we still look side to side. We do that working toward the future, so we're still looking ahead and making plans and pursuing goals. There are still important things that have to be done in this life as we still pursue the kingdom of God and we set our minds on things that are above. We do good to neighbor. We live lives that reflect Jesus, but it starts in our minds. Consider the things that are above. Pursue them, seek them, and live for Jesus, your Savior. To him be glory now and forever. Amen.